Chapter Three of Tangled Trails, a Western Detective Story by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tangled Trails, a Western Detective Story by William McLeod Rain. Chapter Three, for the Championship of the World. The less expert riders had been weeded out in the past two days only the champions of their respective sections were still in the running one after another these lean brown men shap-clad and bow-legged came forward dragging their saddles and clamped themselves to the backs of hurricane outlaws which pitched bucked crashed into fences and toppled over backward in their frenzied efforts to dislodge the human clothespins fastened to them the bronco-busters endured the usual luck of the day. Two were thrown and picked themselves out of the dust, chagrined and damaged, but still grinning. One drew a tame horse not to be driven into resistance either by fanning or scratching. Most of the riders emerged from the ordeal victorious. Meanwhile, the spectators of the big grandstand, packed close as small apples in a box, watched every rider and snatched at its thrills just as such crowds have done from the time of caligula kirby lane from his seat on the fence among a group of cowpunchers watched each rider no less closely it chanced that he came last on the program for the day when cole sanborn was in the saddle he made an audible comment i'm looking at the next champion of the world he announced. "'Not unless you've got a looking-glass with you, old Alkali,' a small, berry-brown youth in yellow-wool shaps retorted. Sanborn was astride a noted outlaw known as Jazz. The horse was a sorrel, and it knew all the tricks of its kind. It went sun-fishing, tried weaving and fence-rowing, at last toppled over backward after a frantic leap upward. The rider, long-bodied and lithe, rode like a centaur. Except for the moment when he stepped out of the saddle as the outlaw fell on its back, he stuck to his seat as though he were glued to it. "'He's a right limber young fellow, and he sure can ride, I'll say that,' admitted one old cattleman. "'They don't grow no better busters,' another man spoke up. He was a neighbor of Sanborn and had his local pride. "'From where I come from, we'll put our last nickel on Cole, you betcha. He's top-hand with a rope, too.' "'Huh! Kirby here can make him look like thirty cents, top of a bronc or with a lariat, either one,' the yellow-shapped vaquero flung out bluntly. Lane looked at his champion, a trifle annoyed. "'What's the use of talking foolishness, Kent? I never saw the day I had anything on Cole. "'Beat him at Pendleton, didn't you?' "'Luck. I drew the best horses.' To Sanborn, who had finished his job and was straddling wide-legged toward the group, Kirby threw up a hand of greeting. "'Good work, old-timer. You're sure hell a mile on a bronc.' "'Kirby Lane on wildfire!' shouted the announcer. 
Lane slid from the fence and reached for his saddle. As he lounged forward, moving with indolent grace, one might have guessed him a southerner. He was lean-loined and broad-shouldered. The long flowing muscles rippled under his skin when he moved like those of a panther. From beneath the band of his pinched-in hat-crisp, reddish hair escaped. Wildfire was off the instant his feet found the stirrups. Again the outlaw went through its bag of tricks and its straight bucking. The man in the saddle gave to its every motion lightly and easily. He rode with such grace that he seemed almost a part of the horse. His reactions appeared to anticipate the impulses of the screaming fiend which he was astride. When Wildfire jolted him with humpback jarring bucks, his spine took the shock limply to neutralize the effect. When it leaped heavenward, he waved his hat joyously and rode the stirrups. From first to last, he was master of the situation, and the outlaw, though still fighting savagely, knew the battle was lost. The Bronco had one trump card left a trick that had unseated many a stubborn rider. It plunged sideways at the fence of the enclosure and crashed through it. Kirby's nerves shrieked with pain, and for a moment everything went black before him. His leg had been jammed hard against the upper plank, but when the haze cleared he was still in the saddle. The outlaw gave up. It trotted tamely back to the grandstand through the shredded fragments of pine in the splintered fence, and the grandstand rose to its feet with a shout of applause for the rider. Kirby slipped from the saddle and limped back to his fellows on the fence. Already the crowd was pouring out from every exit of the stand. A thousand cars of fifty different makes were snorting impatiently to get out of the jam as soon as possible. For Cheyenne was full, full to overflowing. The town roared with a high tide of jocund life. From all over Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, and New Mexico, hard-bitten, sunburned youths in high-heeled boots and gaudy attire had gathered for the Frontier Day celebration. Hundreds of cars had poured up from Denver. Trains had disgorged thousands of tourists come to see the festival. Many people would sleep out in automobiles and on the prairie. The latecomers at restaurants and hotels would wait long and take second best. A big cattleman beckoned to Lane. Place in my car, son. Run you back to town. One of the judges sat in the tonneau beside the rough rider. "'How's the leg? Hurt much?' "'Not much. I'm noticing it some,' Kirby answered with a smile. "'You'll have to ride tomorrow. It's you and Sanborn for the finals. We haven't quite made up our minds.' The cattleman was an expert driver. He wound in and out among the other cars speeding over the prairie, struck the road before the great majority of the automobiles had reached there, and was in town with the vanguard. 
after dinner the rough rider asked the clerk at her hotel if there was any mail for miss rose mclean three letters were handed him he put them in his pocket and set out for the hospital he found miss rose reclining in a hospital chair in a frame of mind highly indignant that doctor talks as though he's going to keep me here a week well he's got another guest coming i'll not stay she exploded to her visitor now looky here you better do as the doc says he knows best what's a week in your young life kirby suggested a week's a week and i don't intend to stay why did you limp when you came in get hurt not really hurt jammed my leg against a fence i drew wildfire did you win the championship the girl asked eagerly no finals tomorrow sanborn and me how's the arm bone broken yes oh it aches some be all right soon he drew her letters from his pocket stopped to get your mail at the hotel thought you'd like to see it wild rose looked the envelopes over and tore one open from my little sister esther she explained mind if i read it i'm some worried about her she's been writing kind of funny lately as she read the color ebbed from her face when she had finished reading the letter kirby spoke gently bad news partner she nodded choking her eyes frank and direct met those of her friend without evasion it was a heritage of her life in the open that in her relations with men she showed a boy-like unconcern of sex esther's in trouble she she rose caught her breath in a stress of emotion if there's anything i can do the girl flung aside the rug that covered her and rose from the chair she began to pace up and down the room presently her thoughts overflowed in words she doesn't say what it is but i know her she's crazy with fear or heartache or something wild rose was always quick-tempered a passionate defender of children and all weak creatures now lane knew that the hot blood was rushing stormily to her heart her little sister was in danger the only near relative she had she would fight for her as a cougar would for its young by god if it's a man if he's done her wrong i'll shoot him down like a gray wolf i'll show him how safe it is to-to she broke down again clamping tight her small strong teeth to bite back a sob he spoke very gently does she say his sentence hung suspended in air but the young woman understood its significance no the letter's just a, a wail of despair she talks of suicide kirby i've got to get to denver on the next train find out when it leaves and i'll send a telegram to her tonight telling her i'll fix it 
I will, too. Sure, that's the way to talk. Be reasonable, and everything will work out fine. Write your wire, and I'll get it right to the office. Soon as I've got the train schedule, I'll come back. You're a good pal, Kirby. I always knew you were. For a moment her left hand fell in his. He looked down at the small, firm, sun-browned fist. That hand was, as Browning has written, a woman in itself, but it was a woman competent, unafraid, trained hard as nails. She would go through with whatever she set out to do. As his eyes rested on the fingers, there came to him a swift, unreasoning prescience of impending tragedy. To what dark destiny was she moving? End of chapter 3